0: Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Last week when I was preaching I put this passage in context with the uh, 530 and uh, 730 church. Uh, And I want to do that again this week because I think it's so very important. And first of all what I want you all to understand is the timing. Now this is after the transfiguration. And so Jesus is intentionally walking to the cross and He has been warning His disciples along the way about what is to happen. And he has gone from Caesarea Philippi which is way up north and now he's made it all the way to Capernaum. And that is where he is during this part of his teaching. And to really put this in context I invite you to go and crack open your Bibles and look at chapter, chapter 18 of Matthew verse 1 because when you do that you're going to see that this, all, this whole section began with a question from the disciples who are walking along beside him, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus at that point has got to be going, oh, I got weeks left. And this is what they're talking about. And so it's kind of like he says, okay. And he has children in his midst in the midst of these followers that are walking along with him. And so he says to one of the children, come and be with me. And I like to picture the child either standing right there with Jesus or maybe even sitting on his lap. While he goes through and he teaches some of these really extreme lessons that we find in chapter 18. And so what he first tells the group is that Do not put a stumbling block in front of one of these little ones. Remember that? And then he goes on and he says, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes to sin, pluck it out. And then he also says some beautiful words that as a parent I want to have in my heart or as somebody who loves children. That these little ones, I tell you, in heaven, their angels always see and are always in the presence of my Father in heaven. What beautiful words, especially to parents who have lost somebody. And then he goes on and he tells the story of leaving the 99 sheep to go find the one. And then last week we heard about reconciling with our brothers and sisters." And so today, we get to how many times do I have to forgive? And so there's still, the children are still with them, and he's telling this final teaching. Now first, I want you to understand the depth of what is forgiven by the landowner. Chris in the earlier service said, I think he said something like this is the forgiveness algebra or something like that. I agree with that. Um, So the slave that is forgiven by the landowner is 10,000 talents. Now, some of you may know this already, but I want to put it into perspective for you guys. What that means is one talent was the equivalent of 15 years of wages. And so when when the landowner forgives that particular slave for 10,000 talents, he's forgiving that slave for 150,000 years of wages. And then comes the other slave. So the slave that is forgiven that enormous amount goes to this other slave, and it's he, the debt in that case is 100 denarii which is a hundred days of wages. So Jesus is speaking in hyperbole. He's using enormous examples to make a very huge point about the infinite depth of his love and his forgiveness for every single one of us the depth of his mercy and grace is able to cover all of the sins that ever were, that ever are, or that ever will be. We can rest completely in the knowledge of the grace of Jesus. It is sufficient to cover everything that we have ever done or will do. He is the one who forgave the enormous debt and he is calling on us to share this mercy and this grace with others as we forgive much, much smaller debts owed to us by our fellow brothers and sisters. And there is a punchline in this story. So my Father will do also to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Forgive one another every single time. And these are the lessons of our Lord as he holds this child. And it is our work here individually and as teachers of our children and as examples in our community That we are to be shining examples, we are to live as disciples of Christ as we shine in the world. And our faith will necessarily be fueled and inspired by the grace that we have received, that amazing grace, as we do our work for our neighbors. And it starts with our children. Now, as a priest, quite frankly, as a person, um, I've seen so many times how family disputes can last a lifetime. Lord knows I've even got some in my own family. And these are the kind that can seem to be more like 10,000 talents as opposed to 100 denarii. Deep divisions over who we are or how we act, or it can be over stuff, it could be over money, it could be over land, it can be the result of long, ongoing addiction, or mental illness, or other illness, it can be over children, and it can be over politics. These kinds of hurts that we inflict or that we endure, they affect not only the way that he or she or they act and see each other, but whether or not it also affects those deep divisions, those continually inflicted wounds, they affect how others see even us in the world, because it affects how we navigate our world if we hold on to that division and to that anger and to the lack of forgiveness. These are the things and the relationships that can easily cause 150 lifetimes of sin. So families mired in this muck of awful dysfunctional relationships marked by terrible conduct and usually strong emotions, they ride a roller coaster of betrayal and loss and and despair and agony and even hate. And it includes our entire family and it can include our friends. When we are unforgiving, the muck in a hard shell, it grows around our souls. And whether we notice it or acknowledge it ourselves, an unforgiving heart is noticeable and can even be seen by others, even our children. It makes us harder and sharper and at the very least, We act out against the person we seemingly cannot forgive. But it also often bleeds into other relationships as well. That is why amends and forgiveness are so important. For families to recover from this darkness, you simply cannot move on to a full life without going through that uncomfortable, and I know that, painful process of forgiveness. We all hate to admit we are wrong, and we all struggle with completely forgiving one another. That's why sin is a spiritual disease. It needs a spiritual cure, for which we fortunately know the prescription. The prescription prescription is grace, getting ourselves and our own souls right with God and then getting right with our neighbor. This prescription of grace applies to the disease of darkness that infects every single human heart. You know, a few years ago I was helping to lead a Vacation Bible School and uh, the teachers had this great lesson everybody got a little white handkerchief. And then the teachers came around, and they sprinkled this blue ink on everybody's handkerchief. And so all these little kids are like going, look at that mess. She made a mess. Look at that big old blot. And so the teachers told the children, that blot is the sin and how it affects our souls and how it affects our heart and how it affects our lives, how we treat each other. But then, guess what happened? We folded it up. We held it in our hands. We said a prayer. And then you open it back up, asking, after asking Jesus to forgive you, and it was gone. Our handkerchiefs were white. Those tricky teachers, you know what they did? <laughs> Invisible ink. <laughs> Disappearing ink. But it was a fantastic lesson. Pray to God. Ask him for forgiveness. And then move on with a clean slate. Live into that grace and move forward. You know, forgiveness is so important that our Lord included it in his prayer that he taught to his disciples. Every day we are to pray for our daily bread And every day, because we need it, we are to prepare for our own forgiveness and the ability to forgive others who have harmed us or sinned against us. He knows it's a daily battle, and so it's in our daily prayers. It's in our creeds. It's in our scriptures. It is a huge tenant of our faith. And not just forgiving, but also forgetting. You know, I love Peter today. (laughs) I always love Peter. He's great. Peter, (laughs) he's such a (sighs) show-off. Anyway, so here is Peter. So he's going up to Jesus, and he's he's being magnanimous, y'all. He's being like, look at me. I'm going to forgive this guy seven times, seven times. And Jesus looks at him and goes, humility, 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 okay? I want you to forgive him 77 times. And if you read some of the other Gospels, it's 70 times 7. Now the point is that we don't have to sit there and figure out, this is what Chris's point was, exactly how many times we've already forgiven that guy and that they only really only have 263 left. Okay, that's not right. <laughs> Jesus' point is that we are to forgive every sin against us every single time. What he's talking about is in terms of perfection. But he also knows we're not perfect. Back to the Lord's Prayer, come to church on Sunday, please forgive us our sins, I'm gonna try again. I also want you to think about forgiving though in terms of forgetting. Because when we are the ones who have been hurt, and we've all been on that side of the equation, don't we tend to hold on to the thing that hurt us sometimes? There always seems to be one or two deeply, th- deep hurts that are just seemingly unforgivable. We try and we try, but guess what happens? The next time we get into the argument with that same person who hurt us so long ago that with we throw not only the day's hurt, but we dredge up the one that occurred 20 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago. And so we very well have to ask, and for, for, we very well have to forgive that person if you think about it over and over again for the original wrong that they did long ago. That 70 times 7 can actually ac- apply to the original sin that happened decades before. Because we're the ones holding on to the anger And not letting it go. We are the one who are perpetuating that particular hurt. And so those who are forgiven have two steps on their side. They have to repent and say they're sorry and admit they're wrong. That's step one. And then they have to make amends. Live a changed life. Make restitution. Suffer the punishment or consequences of their action. That's step two. But those who are the forgivers also have two steps. The first one is to forgive the person who hurt you. And the second is to forget the whole incident. To move on treating the other person with respect, giving back to them their humanity. Now, I love art, and one of my favorite artists, y'all, is Picasso. Love it. There is this museum in Barcelona where you can see where he took some of the grand master's paintings, and then he started experimenting with um, what turned out eventually to be cubism. And so what he would do is, you could have a person's face here, the grandmaster version, it was beautiful with all of the um, anatomy correct and everything just wonderful. But by the time Picasso got done with it, you may have an eyeball up here and a nose here, and then everything else was just kind of, oh, okay? And that is the picture I think of when we continue to hold on to the hurt of the person who we need to forgive. We have, we see them as a messed up piece of art. When we forgive them, the pieces come back together and they become a whole person, a human. We have given them back their humanity, That they always held. We just failed to see it. You know, C.S. Lewis once wrote that everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he or she has something to forgive. (laughs) So true. We are reminded by our gospel this morning that our ability to forgive flows from the grace that we have received from our master. When we tap into that spring, which is bottomless and infinite and so refreshing, we gain the humility and the strength needed to do our part in this ever-present cycle in all of our lives of hurt And pain, apologies, and amends, because it will continue on and on. But in the end, these lessons of Jesus as he walks to the cross, they are hopes and prayers for his future followers, including us. The kingdom of heaven is to be full of humble children of God who care for each other deeply from the heart, disciples of Christ who live and stand out in the world as truly good, honest, humble, forgiving, loving people, deeply concerned with the least of the least and always seeking the good, always living with integrity. That is who we are called to be. Because how we live now are the true lessons of what we are teaching those who will follow, just like our Lord. Our children are here. They are listening. And they are watching. Amen.